Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I'm always blessed whenever I get to share the word with you, and so um, I'm really humbled and thankful that I get to do that today. Um, on this Sunday, we're to celebrate the birth of a new baby, a new life. Um, I'm just thankful I get to fill in for Tim today. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's pray and let's dive into God's word. Lord, we come before you and we just ask that you would renew a right spirit within us as that song prayed, Lord. Um, we come expecting to receive from you, from your word. We know that your Holy Spirit moves and is living and active in your word. And so we just pray that each of us would come with an open heart to hear what you have to say to us. Um, whether it's conviction or encouragement, we just pray that we would be able to respond to your spirit's work in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, the last five weeks we've been going through the sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, um, found in Galatians chapter 5. Tim uh, gave an introduction sermon in which he put the whole passage in context within the Galatian church. In the letter to the Galatians, we see that Paul is writing to combat false teaching, to combat this, uh, the circumcision that is being required by the Jewish leaders, and to combat this licentiousness that might be found in some of the Gentile believers. In the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, uh, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So uh, what Paul is saying is, do not be submitting yourself to the law unnecessarily. Do not go back to the works of the law and the requirements of the law um, as a means for salvation. And later on, he says, uh, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul also says that, you know, you've heard the truth, and yet you've gone back to these old ways. Um, and so we, we see how uh, um, there's this, there's this uh, balance between following the law and the requirements of the law and following um, the grace that God has offered to us and not following the sins of our old ways. Um, and we see that there's this fruit of the Spirit that is in the believer's life. Um, the believer receives the Holy Spirit upon salvation, and the Holy Spirit helps us to live in ways um, that, are, that, are, that reflect God's work in our life. In the first uh, couple of weeks, we went through love, joy, and peace, which are the first three fruit of the Spirit. Um, so if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, I just want to read uh, the list of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. It's on page 975 in your pew Bibles, or your the Bible's in the seat backs in front of you if you don't have your own Bible. So Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, th and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when we come to verse 19, we see that there's these two lists that Paul makes, that Paul gives. I don't believe these are meant to be exhaustive in the sense that these are all the things that you do if you're 
walking in the works of the flesh. And these are all the things that you do if you're walking in, in the Spirit. But these lists are meant to show us what Christian character looks like and what the world's character looks like. And so we, we're given nine fruits of the Spirit. These fruits are love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today we'll be looking at patience and see what that fruit of the Spirit looks like, how that is a part of our lives, and then how we can see that in Scripture. Um, today we'll be looking at patience, and in preparation for the sermon, I was not sure how I was going to approach this topic, because I don't usually do a topical sermon, and usually when you do a topical sermon, you don't want it to just your ideas and pull scripture and kind of place it in your ideas. You want to be able to pull from scripture. So I wasn't sure exactly how that was going to turn out. Turns out we're going to be actually looking at several passages of scripture today. We're going to be jumping back and forth a bit, but um, we're going to see how God shows himself to be patient, and we're going to show what it's like for us to be patient. So we're going to be looking to answer two questions that scripture has for us to a couple of questions that I came with after studying scripture. Um, the first question is, what is, what is God's patience? So what does the Bible have to say about God's patience? And the second question is, what is our patience? What does that look like for us to be patient? What does Scripture have to say about our patience? So before we answer these two questions, I want to get to a sense of the word that Paul uses here in Galatians. Um, the word in Greek is makarothamia. Just basically, it's the word that's used here in I was just looking at different passages throughout Scripture to see where that word pops up and how it's translated, how it's used in context. Um, and I got a couple um, insights from different people and commentaries and just from reading where it comes up. Um, John MacArthur says that patience is the ability to endure injuries inflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. So that's a very, cool, very practical um, definition of what patience looks like for the believer. Um, F.F. Bruce, who's a commentator, says that if in English we had an adjective long-tempered as a counterpart to short-tempered, the Greek word call, could be called the quality of being long-tempered. So we don't, have, we don't say someone's long-tempered. We can say someone's short-tempered. Someone loses their temper easily. Someone gets angry easily. But we usually don't say someone's long-tempered. But really what this word means is long-tempered. It's the opposite of someone being short-tempered. It's the opposite of someone being quick to anger, this patience that we're looking at here. Some of the ways that this word has been translated are forbearance, long-suffering, slow to anger, endurance, tolerance, and steadfastness. So we're looking at this list that Paul gives of the work of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Kind of the counterpart to patience would probably be, would probably be fits of anger. So we see that the works of the flesh would translate into fits of anger and the works of the spirit would be patience. Now that we have a sense of the meaning for this word in of itself, let's look through scripture and answer our first question, which is what is God's patience? How does God show patience in scripture? Um, we're going to be going through several passages, so I'm going to be giving you page numbers. I didn't get it up on the PowerPoint for you guys. I'm sorry about that. But if you want to follow your scripture, just write it down so you can look it up later. Uh, you're welcome to write down the page numbers or look it up. Um, Exodus 34, 5 through 9 is the first passage we're going to look at. It's on page number 74 in your pew Bibles. Um, and so what is God's patience? Well, patience is a part of God's nature. That's the first thing we see. In Exodus chapter 34, 
verse 5 through 9. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keep in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So in this passage, God is proclaiming who he is. God is telling us who he is in his nature. One of the best ways we can figure out who God is is to look at scripture and see what God has to say about himself. That's the clearest and most accurate way we can understand God is to say what to see what he has to say about himself. And in his nature, we see that he is faithful in this passage. We see that he is loving and merciful. We see that he is gracious, and we see his justice. Those are things we usually think about when we think of God's nature, who he is. God is just. God is faithful. He is gracious. He is loving. He is merciful. But we also see that he is slow to anger. And that's a, that's a phrase that comes up often in the Old Testament, throughout the Psalms, and throughout different parts of the Old Testament. Especially when God talks about himself. That's one of the first things he says about himself, is that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, So God is slow to anger. In the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, it's the same word used in the New Testament. It's actually the word that the New Testament writers were connecting to when they were thinking about patience, what patience looked like when they were talking about God. Um, and so this, this word is found in our Galatians passage. Um, it, has, it holds the same meaning as the word we were looking at. In jo- Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, um, we see an example of God's patience in his uh, nature. So that's on page 775, if you want to turn there. Jonah chapter 4, 2. And he said to the Lord, and he said to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is Jonah praying to God. That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So here in the story, if you, if you aren't familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, which was the most evil city during that time. It was a city that was full of violence. It was a city that was full of idolatry. Um, and so Jonah was sent there to tell him to repent because God was going to destroy the city. And Jonah obviously had his own ideas. Jonah did not want to go and see them repent. He did not want, them see, he did not want to see them turn from God. He wanted to see them destroyed. He wanted to have justice. He didn't want to have mercy or grace. And so he ran away from God, and God pulled him back, and he got cast into the sea, swallowed by the fish, and spat up on the land, and then he preached, and Nineveh repented, right? Um, and so, at the end, Jonah's bitter. Jonah didn't want to see this, this city come to repentance and not be destroyed. And so he says, I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger. So Jonah knows who God is in his nature. God is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. We see here that patience, slow to anger, the patience um, is right next to gracious and merciful. So God in his grace and mercy. Two words we talk about a lot in our Christian language and we see a lot in the Bible. Um, God's patience is in that, in that grace and mercy. Um, so yeah, the second point. 
So the first point is that patience is a part of God's nature. The second point is that God's patience is put on display throughout Israel's history of unfaithfulness. Uh, the passage I have here is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, page 405 if you want to turn there. Um, in verse 17 it says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. So again, we see that slow to anger, which is that same word for patience. God was slow to anger. Uh, he was long-tempered. This passage does a pretty good job of summing up Israel's history. Right? When we read throughout the Old Testament, we can see over and over again how Israel fell into unfaithfulness and went after idols and forsook God. And we saw the consequences uh, that came about the nation because of that. For those of you who are reading along with us in the two-year journey, we just finished Chronicles. And if you read through the Chronicles and the Kings over and over again, you see that there was a new king who came to reign. And, he, and it says, and he was more wicked than his fathers. Or he, did, he walked in the ways of his fathers who did wickedness. And so we can see throughout Israel's history that there was this constant falling back into unfaithfulness. And then every once in a while, a new king would rise, God would rise up a new king who would um, worship God again, who would turn the people back to God. And God in his grace and his mercy was patient with them over history, over and over again, despite their long periods of unfaithfulness. So if God was not slow to anger or patient with his people, Israel would have been sent into exile very, very early on. So if we read the Old Testament, we see that eventually Israel is sent into exile because of their unfaithfulness, because of their turning away from God. But God was patient, and he didn't do that until much later than he could have. Time and time again, God showed his patience and relented. And relented. So we see that God's patience is put on display throughout Israel's history of faith, unfaithfulness. And the third thing we see is that God's patience is shown to a lost world. Now, in the Jonah passage we read... Um, he was sent to the most evil city of his time. And God demonstrated his great patience with Nineveh. Now these weren't Israelites. These weren't people who worshipped Yahweh. These were just very wicked people who God was going to put judgment on. Um, and instead he had patience with them and he allowed them to be preached the gospel or preached to repent and turn to God and repent from their sins. Um, and he allowed that to happen. God was not slow to anger or patient with his, or, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, a second uh, example we have was that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Um, God used Noah to demonstrate his patience and his forbearance with the world when he was going to send the flood. Now, in 2 Peter 2.5, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And why does Peter say that? Because when we read the account of the flood in Genesis, we see that Noah built an ark, all animals went in, his family went in, and, they, and the floods came and they were safe and everyone else died, right? Well, Noah was building the ark for 120 years. It was this massive, massive boat that he and his family undertook to build. And so it took many, many years. And during that time, you can imagine the people that would come up and be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It was an opportunity for him to preach righteousness. It was an opportunity to preach, him, preach and say, hey, Destruction is going to come because of the sins that we are committing, that the world is committing, that you are committing. Um, you can turn to God and repent and 
In the story, as we, as we read, no one actually turns besides Noah and his family. No one actually gets to enter the ark besides Noah and his family. But during that time, he was a preacher of righteousness. God displayed his patience during Noah's time. And these are just a couple examples of God displaying his patience to a world that didn't know him, to a world that didn't know, of, know who Yahweh was. Like in Noah's time, um, God hadn't yet made a covenant with Abraham, so people were kind of doing their own thing, and that's why there was so much wickedness in the world um, at that point. So God's patience to a lost world is also shown today. That same patience. Um, and the reason for God's patience is that it's meant to lead people to repentance and salvation. So God's patience is meant to lead people, people to repentance and salvation. In Romans 2.4, on page 940, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead, to re- lead you to repentance? And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, on page 1019, uh, Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that you should reach repentance. And in verse 15, he continues and says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. So God's patience and relenting Um, of his wrath is meant to lead to repentance and salvation. So even during our time, during the time of Paul writing this, God was still showing that patience. Even after Christ came, went to the cross, died for our sins, and and rose again, um, God shows his patience in the fact that Christ hasn't returned. He's allowing time for people to come to know Christ. Um, We are to consider the time that we're still here on this earth as God's patience leading to repentance and salvation. It's still giving people a chance. God desires, desires us. He desires to have a relationship with all of us. And so that's his patience and his, and his mercy shown there. Um, so yeah, during Noah's time, God's patience was meant to lead to repentance and salvation, like I mentioned. You know, there was a chance for people to say, oh, we've been sinful. Can we repent and go with you, <laughs> you know, to believe? He gave them a chance to believe. Um, Jonah knew that God's patience led to salvation. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew that, that God would be merciful to them. The fact that we are still here today um, and that Christ hasn't returned is a testament to God's patience with us. So this is God's patience, right? He's patient in his nature. He's patient to a lost world. He has shown his patience throughout history, particularly with his people. Um, and uh, this kind of leads to us. The question about us, and that's, what is our patience? What does that look like in Scripture? Well, our patience stems from God's love. So if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in page 960, in verse 4, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Um, this is that famous passage that we probably have heard of um, about love. It says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So here we have that famous passage that Paul wrote about love and what love is. We see at this passage that patience is at the very beginning. Love is patient. Love is kind. Those are two fruits of the Spirit right there, right? Paul would later write his fruit of the Spirit um, to the Galatians. Or actually, he wrote the fruit of the Spirit to the Galatians first, and then he would later talk about a couple of them in his letter to Corinthians. Um, He says, love is patient, love is kind. Um, A very real and tangible way of loving someone is to be patient with them. Right? Showing that outward love to someone and showing that um, inward love to people is to be patient with them. This is God's love that Paul is talking about here in Corinthians. It's that agape love that Tim talked about in the first week when we were going through the fruit of the Spirit. That love that only comes from having the Holy Spirit, that only comes from God. It's that love that is unconditional, that love that we can't have apart from God. It's not that romantic or brotherly love, but it's that deep, unconditional love. And so that kind of love is patient. So our patience stems from God's love. We are motivated and enabled, or we are motiv- enabled and motivated to be patient with other people by the gospel. So that's the second point about our patience, what that looks like in us. So we are enabled and motivated to be patient with other people by the gospel. Now, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit's enable the Holy Spirit enables us to be patient. That love, that agape love, is produced in us. It bears fruit in us um, by the Holy Spirit's power. Right. God's common grace to humanity allows that we are all able to show patience in one way or another. However, apart from God's grace and the Spirit's work, that patience stems from a different motive and produces a different kind of fruit. The motive behind worldly patience might be self-serving rather than self-sacrificing. The purpose for patience in the world's perspective isn't to point people to Christ and live out his love to others, but rather it is to serve yourself and meet your own needs. Think about the kid on Christmas, you know, or a kid waiting for Christmas. You're patient and you're waiting because you know you're going to get something, you're going to get a present, and if you're good, you're going to get more. That's your motivation. It's self-serving. It's very selfish. It says only Christians can have true godly patience because God's patience is a fruit of the Spirit and only Christians have the Spirit. So, right, we talked about this last few weeks about how the Spirit enables us and drives us to do these things. Um, it is our heart change through the gospel and the Spirit's indwelling that enables us to be patient. So it's the gospel's work in our life that gets us to that point where we can show that godly patience. It's the Spirit's indwelling that enables us to be patient in that way. So God's patience with us is seen in his um, God's patience with us seen in his forgiveness should motivate us and give us an example to be patient. So we see how we're enabled to be patient by the Holy Spirit's indwelling, right? Well, we should be motivated to be patient because of Christ's example, what he did for us. In Matthew 18, verse 23, um, we see a parable about this. It's on page 824 if you want to turn there. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. So Matthew 18, 23. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle with them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have, have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you do not, does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. And within this whole parable of forgiveness, we see that patience is tied into that. The master, who in this story is God, is patient and forgiving of us who owe a great debt to him. We, likewise, in return, should be patient and forgiving to those who owe debts to us, those who do something against us. And so, our motivation to be patient with others comes from the patience that Christ showed us in his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. That should motivate us to want to be patient to others. We just, we need to look at ourselves in the scope of who God is and realize where he is and where we are. And when we see that how far we fall short, um, that pride diminishes and we are given humility. It's like when we go to the, when we ask God for that humility, he will give that to us. Um, so Christian, uh, Christian patience is motivated by the gospel. It's motivated by what Christ did for us. Um, the next point is that Christian love and community is marked by patience for one another. So our patience stems from God's love, and it's marked by one, love for one another. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 14, on page 984, it says, Here there is not Greek, or Greek and Jew, circumcised and un uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds every, everything together in perfect harmony. So this Christian unity should be marked by patience. Right? We talk about compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, and there's patience. So this, this, this verse in Colossians is written in the context of there being divisions between Greeks and Jews and slaves and people from different backgrounds and classes. And, and God is, or, uh, Paul is saying that we are all one in Christ, right? We all belong to Christ. We're all equal in Christ's image, or in, in God's image, and we're all equal before Christ. Um, Christ is in us all who are believers, and so we are no different. So this Christian unity in this community 
between believers in the church in Colossae and between believers here should be marked by that patience with one another. That is how we display God's love to one another, at least one of the ways. Um, another, another way we uh, see God's patience in the life of, in our lives, in Scripture, is that patience comes from our trust in God. So here we kind of switch topics a little bit. It's not switching topics, but it's kind of a switch in direction. Because now we're talking about our patience in the midst of circumstances in our lives, right? These first few things we're talking about are more relational, right? These are between fellow Christians, between us and the people around us. But the patience we're going to look at now is patience between us and God. James 5, 7 uh, through 11 talks about this. That's on page 1013 if you want to turn there. So patience and trial comes from our trust in God. In James 5, 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now here James is talking about the, coming, the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the fruit that we bear in our Christian lives and how the Lord is going to be coming and how, um, and how this, this fruit, the, the fruit is produced on the earth in its season. Um, and later on, he continues and he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So when James is pointing back to the prophets, He's, he's pointing back to all those men who were faithful to God to preach his word to sinful Israel back in the Old Testament when they had gone astray. And these prophets, many of them were persecuted. Some of them were put to death. Uh, they were all ridiculed and mocked. But they were patient and they continued to speak God's word to his people as they were called to do. And he says, Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast blessed. It says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So now James points to Job, and we know that Job was inflicted by Satan with so many different afflictions. He lost his family, he lost his possessions, he had leprosy, and then we see how God restored all those things to him, and Job, in, his, in all of that affliction, he did not curse God. He was patient. He didn't know what was happening or why it was happening. He went through a period where he questioned God and he repented of that. But at the same time, he was patient and he endured. It says the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we, we look at Job and his circumstances and how he went through all those afflictions. And, and James says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so Job's patience was tied into his trust in God. Um, the prophet's patience was tied into their trust in God. We wait patiently and endure through trials as we trust in the Lord. This patience, when going through trials, has a strong connection to our trust in God. When we go through hard times, uh, we can trust that God has a greater purpose behind whatever, he is whatever we are going through. Ultimately, that purpose is for our good if we are believers. Um, One of my favorite passages, and it's just a passage that's one of my favorites because it continually reminds me of God's faithfulness and his steadfastness. Um, and especially when 
you know, you think about the struggles in the world when you think about what you go through or what I go through when I think about that. Um, I'm, all, I'm a, like when I come to circumstances where I lose my patience or I come to circumstances where I'm wondering why things are happening the way they're going, why uh, things are going so badly. I think about this passage often. Um, and I try to use it often to encourage others too because uh, it's just been a huge encouragement for me. That passage is Romans 8.28. It's uh, on page 944 if you want to turn there. Um, we see God's purpose in what trials we go through and what hardships we may go through in this passage. In Romans 8.28 it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love God. So this is speaking to the believer, the believer who is in God's will, the believer who loves and trusts God, who believes in him. All things work together for their good. Any afflictions or trials or hardships you may go through, no matter how hard it may seem in the time, are all for your good. Christ is doing a work in you. The Holy Spirit is working in you during those times. So it's a constant and much-needed reminder to me that God is good all the time. Tim says that a lot. I, I just love how Tim says that because, yeah, sometimes it might seem like it's just kind of going over the surface to me when I think about God is good all the time and you go through, like, a really bad week or you have a really bad day and you're like, what's the point of that, you know? Or someone X treats you really poorly. But it's just, this verse is a reminder that God is good all the time in the midst of trials and hardships. The truth in the verse that God works all things for the good of the believer should motivate us and encourage us to have that patience, to have that trust in God. So here we see that patience in trial comes from our trust in God. So how can we practice patience in our own lives? Well, hopefully, um, just some of these scriptures showed you how to think about patience. And, and I feel like the, the first thing we can do is have that mindset about what patience is or or what, who we are in our circumstances and who God is in those circumstances and who God is and how that speaks into our lives. So the first thing is, like, how can we practice patience in our lives? We need to have a mindset of patience or a mindset of what true biblical patience looks like. We need to think about who God is and how he is patient with us. We need to think about who we are in the light of God and how his patience affects our lives and how we should be patient or how we can be patient. So we can practice patience because of the work that Christ did, right? In Galatians 5.13 and 14, going back to our Galatians passage, um, in verse 13 it says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Christ came to fulfill the law, Right? The Old Testament law is what the Old Testament believers lived under. It was a set of rules that you had to follow in order to be considered, in order to be able to come before God, you know, in order to um, uphold the covenant between God and his people. Um, and when you failed, you had to make sacrifices. You had to repent. You had to uh, um, do these rituals. But Christ came to fulfill all that. When he went to the cross, he fulfilled all the law's requirements. He perfectly obeyed the law. And he made it so that we can have a right relationship with God. That God would see us as righteous before him and not our sin. So, with this fulfillment of the law, he gave us the ability to live freely as people not constricted by the law, but set free to live out the law in our lives. Loving people and loving God. Those are the two main things, right? 
In order to fulfill the whole law, you love people and you love God. That was the point of it all. And so Christ sets us free once he comes into our lives and changes our hearts. We are free to love people and love God and, and to obey the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So we are living out the Holy Spirit's work in our lives when we love God and love people. One of the ways we love people is to display that same patience that Christ showed us by going to the cross, by waiting years and years for us to come to him, right? God's plan for salvation and his relationship with his people throughout history has patience intrinsically woven through it. Patience is a part of that plan from the very beginning. We, dis we display that same love through our Christ-like patience to the people in our lives. So we proclaim the gospel of Christ through our patience, through the love that is shown by our patience to the people around us. We proclaim the truth of it and the life-changing nature of it. So we can also practice patience by viewing people as God views them. All people are preciously made in the image of God. We know that from Genesis. Everyone is made in the image of God. And so we have value for that very reason, because we're made in the image of God. God has shown, shown throughout history that he looks upon us with patience and forbearance. We looked at that through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through our time even now, um, just looking at the world around us. People are not just objects in your way or causes of affliction and annoyance. So the way we can be patient and, and, um, is to view people the way God views them. They're not just an object of annoyance when you're annoyed by someone or affliction, especially if you're annoyed by someone like a stranger, someone you don't know, someone who's just going to pass you by and you're not going to worry about in the future. You know, it's easy to get really impatient with them and just be okay with it, you know? I can speak for myself in that way. Every person is a person that God desires. And so we spread that message of God's love through our patience. So when you're interacting with anyone, whether it's a fellow believer, a family member, a friend, or a total stranger, we spread God's love through our patience with them. We can make patience and um, we can make patience a continual practice in our lives when we walk by the Spirit. So last week, Wade talked a little bit about what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. He mentioned that Scripture is one of the greatest ways to do that. The Holy Spirit speaks through us, through Scripture, right? He convicts us through God's written word. God wrote about himself. God had people write about him. So that's one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, to convict us, to encourage us to challenge us. And so, by soaking ourselves in Scripture, that can help us be patient, because when we realize on a daily basis we're reminded who God is, we're reminded who we are. Um, so if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, read Scripture. If you want to be encouraged to be patient, read Scripture that displays God's patience. Read those particular passages that talk about the patience of God. Another way that we can walk by the Spirit is when we lift ourselves and we lift each other up in prayer. The Holy Spirit desires to help us, right? Christ sent him as his helper once he left, once he went back to heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, and he desires to help us. He desires to convict us, to lead us, to enable us to live patiently. Um, and he desires to point us, or point us to Christ and the truth of the gospel, right? So when we are struggling to be patient, the best thing we can do in that moment is to pray and ask for the Spirit's help, and he will provide the help. Ask for patience. Pray about it. Don't just ignore it and let it go by. So as we uh, wrap this up, 
we see that God was patient through all time, right? From the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they fell, he did not just condemn them to death right, death right away, but he provided salvation in the person of Christ. He pointed to that salvation in Genesis when he made the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah that would come from the very beginning. God showed his patience. Until our lives today, we see that throughout history, until our lives today, through the gospel, through Christ's death on the cross, and through the way we live our lives today, um, God's patience is still living and active in our lives. Um, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll take communion. Dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the patience and forbearance you chose to show us. That you chose to be patient with the nation of Israel. You chose to be patient with Abraham and his struggles. You chose to be patient with Saul and David as they failed you. And you chose to be patient with Israel as they continually walked away from you, Lord. And you showed that great patience in your sending of Christ, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the work Christ did on the cross, and we thank you for the salvation that we have in his death and resurrection. And we thank you for the patience you continue to show us today, that we are still here able to spread your gospel, able to preach your word, able to share your love and your good news with the people around us, Lord. And we just pray that you would teach us to be patient, both for the sake of your gospel and just the sake to show your love and to be living in a way that is worthy of our calling. We thank you for your work on the cross and we just, we pray that that would be our motivation, that would be our, the thing that focuses our, our minds and our, our lives, Lord. That we would continually be reminded of your patience and your grace in our lives on a daily basis. And your goodness to us in the trials or hardships we might go through, um, through the struggles we have in our, in our daily lives or in weekly lives, Lord, and through the seasons of, of trial, Lord. We just pray that you'd give us that patience um, that you displayed and that, that you talk about in Galatians. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.